As we come to consider God's word together, let's pause and pray and seek his help. Father, we need to be taught by you. There are many voices that clamor for our attention. May we still our hearts. May we hear the voice that speaks truth to us and brings life to us. Your word is life. May it live in us and through us. So speak, we pray, and may we listen and obey. Through Christ we ask it. Amen. I wonder, have you been in any long queues recently? Surely at some point in your life you will have had that experience to wait in a very long queue, one that appears to be moving incredibly slowly. And then you will have had the delightful experience to see some people make their way up to the very front of the queue and push in. Queue jumpers, thus further delaying, delaying any possibility of your progress. And of course, in those moments, you say to yourself, how blessed they are to be spared this trial of having to stand and wait in line. Thank you, Lord, that through this experience, this season of suffering, you are producing in me endurance, which forges character and results in hope. Yes, I'm sure that's exactly what's going through your mind in those moments. Or perhaps this has happened to you. You're driving down the motorway and you see up ahead roadworks and the various signs counting down to their imminent arrival. And at 400 yards to go, you duly filter across into the only lane that will progress beyond the roadworks. And as you sit there aging along at about 10 or so miles an hour, you see a van flying along the outside lane at about 100 miles an hour hurtling toward the waiting traffic cones. And in those moments, you say to yourself, I hope there are Christians up ahead who will kindly let that man into the queue. But if not, I can't wait for the opportunity to show my servant nature and let him ease in in front of me. Yes, I'm sure that's the kind of people that we are. Gracious, accepting, when people cut in in front of us. Keep those images in your mind as we look at this text. For here, Paul, as he does elsewhere in his writings, and in this passage that Robbie read for us, he, he puts on his trainers and he adopts the role of the track coach as he encourages his readers in the race of the Christian life. And he begins with words of commendation for these Galatians. As he says in verse 7, you were running well. They had made a great start. We see it back in Galatians 3, 3. Paul says, having begun by the Spirit. They were effectively merging creed and conduct, belief and behaviour. They were living and loving as they ought. We considered this last week in, in, in chapter 5, verse 6, that, that faith, when it gets his, its running shoes on, it looks like love. They had started so well. 
But of course, in a race, it's not how you start, but how you finish. And Paul is deeply concerned that their initial passion and practice are, are now being turned off course by false teacher, those called Judaizers, who want to load them down with laws and curtail their progress with circumcision. In ancient athletic events, the runners did not run around a track as we might see in the Olympics today or as you might have been able to see through the rain and the children's talk. Rather, they ran to a post and back. And this straight line course gave ample opportunity for your opponent to cut in in front of you and hamper your progress. So we read in the NIV rendering, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And that imagery of, of cutting will be revisited by Paul later in our passage. Using that same metaphor, that running metaphor, the apostle writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and following, and in 2 Timothy 2 verse 5. And, and there he explains there's a path to follow and a prize to be won. And here it seems as though these false teachers, these Judaizers, have moved the post. And they're leading the Galatians off course and away from the pride. And three particular problems are highlighted by Paul. Firstly, their teaching, these Judaizers' teaching, has created a, a hindrance. The apostle writes in verse 7, Who has hindered you? From obeying the truth. Many of you will remember that controversial clash between the American athlete Mary Decker and the pseudo British athlete Zola Budd in the women's 3000 metres final of the Los Angeles Summer Olympics. After a number of brushes together in their last impact, which was clearly unintentional, this caused Decker to fall to the track, injuring her hip, and she was unable to complete the race, while Bud dropped off the pace and eventually finished in seventh place. And that well-known incident is a great illustration of what Paul is saying here. The Galatians had been running along the path of simple gospel truth, Having accepted that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, they were running straight and true toward the prize of eternal life with Christ. But now, some these Judaizers, these, these false teachers had cut across in front of them, and they were causing them to stumble. To continue the athletics and metaphor, they were putting hurdles in their way, things that they said you had to get over before you could make progress. They were saying stuff like, if you don't undergo circumcision, you'll be disqualified. Or if you don't uphold all the laws of the Old Testament, you'll not be able to please God. There'll be no prize for you at the end of the race. Such intervention, such cutting in across their path, ought to have been as welcome to the Galatian Christians as the Q-jumper is to those behind them in my opening illustrations. 
justification is, according to John Calvin, the hinge upon which religion turns. And justification, that is, being in a right relationship with God the Father, as summarized in the Westminster Confession of Faith, is the receiving and resting on Christ alone as he is offered to us in the gospel. This is the prize. But how then might we lose it? How then does Paul's message impact us today? We're, we're not in danger of rushing out to be circumcised. Well, I hope not. But there is for believers an ever present temptation of convincing ourselves that there are lots of things that we must do if we're to be victorious in the Christian race. Going to church services, reading our Bibles, taking time to pray, and of course we mustn't forget, giving money to the work of God's kingdom. Each day or each week, we convince ourselves that there are these hurdles over which we must jump if we are to compete and to win. In his excellent book, Holiness by Grace, Brian Chappell writes, It is natural to think in terms of such a barter system of love. But such thinking creates the impression that these Christian disciplines are not means of grace, but means to grace. Helpfully, Chapel then encourages us to think of, of God's love not as a well from which we draw a bucketful through our spiritual disciplines, but rather as the very air around us. He continues. We would then see the Christian disciplines as means of opening our mouths to breathe in all the loving resources God has already provided. Opening my mouth in prayer and praise does not manufacture more of God's love for me any more than opening my mouth makes more air. The means of grace simply allow me to experience the fullness of the love of God that he already has fully and completely provided. Don't be encumbered by this hindrance, says Paul, this imposed religious practice. Rather, recognize this teaching as heresy. Heresy, Galatians 5 and 8. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul wants us to understand that this teaching is not of God. It's a false doctrine of merit, not a true doctrine of grace. Oh yes, it seems so reasonable, so rational. Do this to earn that. And everyone knows you don't get something for nothing. That is the way the world thinks. But such teaching is not from God. As Paul says here in verse 11, the message of the cross is offensive, and we'll get to that, because it runs counter to the way of the world. You're familiar with the words of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, when Paul writes, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. 
The message of the cross is offensive to Jews who believe they've been given a system of rules and regulations whereby they can work their way to God. A ladder that they can climb to heaven. And certainly the cross is a joke to Gentiles because they think they're wise enough to know how the world works. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You don't get something for nothing. But this is exactly why saving grace is amazing grace. Because it is God reaching out to us. And we simply have to receive from him. There is nothing else for us to do. Anyone who teaches that there is, says Paul, is a heretic. And is not speaking on behalf of him who calls you. Hindrance, heresy and hazard. Galatians 5 and verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We have all learned a lot of new things during this global pandemic. And one of these is the importance of the R number. The R number tells us the reproductivity of the virus, determining at what rate it will spread in the community. And there is one fact that the Christian church has always known, that the R number for heresy is much higher than for gospel truth. Although it's likely that Jonathan Swift first penned these words, they're often attributed to C.H. Spurgeon who said, Error can travel halfway around the world by the time truth gets its boots on. Heresy travels far quicker than truth. And just as a tiny spark can cause a massively destructive forest fire, so the leaven of these false teachers spreads throughout the fellowship with devastating outcome. Paul uses the imagery of bread making here, a very popular pastime during this period of lockdown. And where this influence of the yeast spreads throughout the mixture, create the, creating the carbon dioxide that causes the bread to rise. The yeast is tiny by comparison with the other ingredients, but its effect is thorough. And like yeast, a little point of doctrinal error can spread throughout the fellowship and over time lead God's people away from the truth. To use another illustration, it's like the sea captain who sails from port but sets his course just one degree off. It's, it's such a, a negligible amount. But as he continues to sail on this heading, soon he will find himself many miles from where he intended to be. The challenge in teaching the scriptures is both to proclaim truth and to refute error. Sometimes our feeling is to invest too much time and energy in, in exposing the error that we have little idea left of what is the truth. So then, how do we remain free from hindrance, carrying no unnecessary burden? How do we live correct in doctrine, avoiding all heresy? And how do we live untainted by the hazard of leaven, pure in profession and practice of faith? Well, the writer to the Hebrews gives us the answer in the words with which we began our service. Continuing the athletics theme 
he writes Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is as we look to Jesus, as we fix our eyes upon him, that our course is sure and our destination is certain. It appears from Galatians 5 as though Paul's opponents were accusing him of double standards. Verse 11 seems to suggest that they, they believe that Paul taught two different messages, promoting circumcision for the Jews, but not for the Gentiles. And to refute their accusations, Paul points to his personal experiences of persecution. Throughout his missionary journeys, it was the Jews who hounded him and agitated the crowds to chase him and his companions out of the cities in which he had sought to share the gospel. And if he had compromised with the Jews, this surely would not have been the case. Let me highlight a few of these occasions for you. For example, Acts 13, verse 50. But the Jews stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out. Or Acts 14, verse 5, an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews to mistreat them and to stone them. Acts 14, verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Acts 18, 12, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Why did Paul face such constant opposition? Well, it was, as he explains in verse 11, the offence of the cross. As he proclaimed the truth of the gospel, people got angry with him. And so it ever must be, as the great Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, if my preaching of this cross is not an offence to the natural man, I am misrepresenting it. Why then is the cross so offensive? Because it declares that people are hell-bound and helpless. We are all hell-bound and the cross awakens us to the reality of the presence of our sin and the peril in our sin. We've been thinking uh, about this in our midweek Bible studies on 1st John. That since the Garden of Eden, men have been engaged in a cover-up, attempting to hide their sin. But the cross will not permit such thoughts. It calls upon us to acknowledge that we are sinners and not even respectable sinners, but reprobate sinners, justly deserving God's righteous wrath. But as Billy Graham's grandson 
Tully and Chavidian notes, what keeps us from God is not the sin we know we have, but the righteousness we think we have. And consequently, it is only as you regard the cross that you're awakened to the reality that all your acts of righteousness merely dress you as effectively as the emperor's new clothes. And thus, you're awakened to the deathly destination to which you are heading. The cross is offensive. It tells us that we are hellbound. And it makes it clear that, that we are helpless. The cross destroys any confidence in the flesh. It crushes human pride. It declares that all self-salvation projects through rule-keeping are, are futile. I love the concise testimony of one man who said, I'll tell you how God saved me. I did everything I could against it. And God did the rest. The gospel truth is offensive. It calls us to acknowledge nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. So Paul concludes this little section of this letter, wishing that those who have cut in to put the Galatians off their stride would, would do some more cutting. He has some suggestions as to what they should do with their circumcision knives. Perhaps when people queue jump, when they cut it in front of you in a line of traffic, you begin to feel a little of the, the strength and passion that, that Paul exhibits here. But Paul is not concerned about his own delay or discomfort. He is driven by a passion for the honour of the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory of the cross of Christ and the care of the church of Christ, which he had been used by God to bring into being. To slightly misquote Spurgeon, Paul was a man of the cross, bearing the message of the cross with the marks of the cross. Praise God for Paul. But he cannot save you. To stay on the path, to win the prize, you must look to Jesus. He endured the cross. He despised its shame. He bore its punishment for your sin and for mine. And all this for the joy before him which would be to gather his people to himself in glory. So are you among that number? Are you resting in Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary alone for your salvation? Please do get in touch. If you would like to reach that assurance that you're on the pathway that will lead to the prize, sharing in the heavenly calling with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. Its message is offensive to the world because it reveals their sinfulness. Sin so serious that nothing but the sinless Saviour leaving heaven's glory, taking on himself human flesh, suffering and dying at Calvary, only this was sufficient 
to redress the damage it does to our souls. Lord, without Jesus, we are hellbound. May we know that he wants to redirect us, to call us home to heaven and him. And Lord, help us to recognize that without him, we are helpless. There's nothing that we can do. It's all done for us. We simply need to rest and receive the finished work of Jesus as that gift beyond compare, the salvation that he has won at such a price, yet so freely given. So Lord, may your gospel be clear and may our response be certain. May we run in the pathway headed toward the prize, fixing our eyes on Jesus as we pray in his name. Amen.